Hey, party people. Thanks for downloading our podcast, This House of Cards. This is our review for the third episode of Season 2 House of Cards, called Chapter 16. Here we see Frank use the rule book to play the Senate Republicans, and Lucas make every stupid decision possible. Alright, let's do it. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this House of Cards podcast, non official podcast about the Netflix hit show House of Cards. I'm your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co host, Chris Eustead. All right. Third episode of the season. Woo! Stuff's picking up. And the show rolls on. And <laughs> always a lot to talk about, and I'm very excited to get into that. Before we go into this uh, episode, chapter 16, of course, I've got to ask you what are you drinking this evening? I'm I've been kind of wussy today. I have a big old Gatorade. Um, been trying to recoup from quite a long weekend at a film festival, documentary film festival that we have here in 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 my town. Uh, so that's what I'm drinking. What are you drinking? I am channeling my uh, inner hipster and drinking a beer out of a mason jar. Um, oh boy, a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Did you make it yourself? No, this is not one I homebrewed, which would would make it much cooler. Although yeah, I have done that before. That's real hipster. <laughs> that is real hipster. <laughs> I'll have to say that for a future episode. Um, yeah. Anyway, so before we begin, as always, we want to remind you to check us out on iTunes, rate us, review us. We really appreciate that. Recommend us to your friends. You know that maybe they already finished the season. And they want to go back and hear analysis and discussion and. You know, this is a good enough show to watch over and over again, so why don't they? And finally, of course, check us out on Facebook <laughs> with any questions or comments you have. It is uh, facebook.com slash thishouseofcardspodcast. And without further ado, let's dive into Chapter 16. Of course, we start here in the midst of a uh, roundtable sort of gathering, I believe. The president is prepping for his State of the Union address. He's talking to a room of people. Uh, there's all sorts of negotiations going on. Um, Frank, in the, the meantime, while the president is talking, is sketching out a bowl on a sheet of paper. This is our opening scene. This is our intro. And I was wondering what, I mean, what that, what you thought that was symbolic of. What's the symbolism here? Yeah, that, that's a good question. My first thought was that he's just so not engaged with whatever conversation is happening in front of him that he's doodling. Yeah. Um, but obviously, there's got to be some type of meaning of of what he's choosing to draw, right? What did mm-hmm. you think? I think that's an interesting point I didn't even think of is the degree to which he's not paying attention to the president because we know Frank is being such an astute kind of on top of it manipulator that he is very aware of everything that's going on around him. So I think it's very significant showing that he doesn't really care what the president's saying right now. You know, right. I don't know if that's overconfidence on his part or uh, intentional. As far as the bowl, I mean... There's a lot of, like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking of, there's a whole lot of images that come to mind. I'm thinking of the bull, like the Wall Street bull and kind of like um, being that master manipulator. Um, you know, you have kind of the image of the bull being the, I guess, the patriarch over, you know, a herd or something like that. And so in some ways, you know, Frank may potentially abuse himself as the bull. On the other hand, we have a lot of livestock imagery in this season so far from the scene I'm thinking of where, you know, Freddie talks about slaughtering pigs and bulls and stuff like that. And I I just think 
That's right. also interesting That's to take note that. of. Um, I mean, plus perhaps you have the matadors who lead bulls. Oh, that I trick them into going different directions. That's a great interpretation. I like that one too. So I mean, because he really <laughs> is the master matador, like holding up, right? You know, red, you know, red capes here and there to you know, drive people wherever he wants them to. So I mean, that is mm-hmm. the master. I guess a matador really is a master manipulator. So I'm going to go with that interpretation because that's my favorite. Cool, excellent, material. All right. excellent. I love it. Um, all sorts of different uh, kind of storylines we want to talk about here. Well, really, I've kind of cut yeah. it down to three. The first I want to talk okay. about is uh, the Rachel storyline, kind of the shortest. Okay. Per- personally, I find yeah. it the least interesting. In my heart, Rachel has kind of taken that kind of boring Zoe, I don't really care about it position. And it's not because, I mean, once we've talked about this before, how Claire is, in our mind, the only really well-written female. Um, I think that's not true in this season anymore because I really like Jacqueline. And also, I do like Janine a lot. I think Janine is a really strong character. Um, Rachel, I feel like, is very flat to me. Uh, I think that they're trying to, at this point, kind of bring her out of her shell and make her more well-rounded. I'm not sure what the point of that is because I kind of thought we were done with her after the whole Russo Russo scandal. Right. She's only, I mean, Bert, for the most part, she's around as the one tie to Frank's, you know, p- p- uh, um, murderous pass and right. uh, uh, cr- criminal pass where if she gets interviewed or starts talking he's she's the one who could bring him down she is a loose end right and so to that degree i mean that's my inclination is that that's the reason she's still around is that why she's still here yeah lucas or janine or somebody's going to put that together um but we do see her they have her out now stamper and frank have her out in maryland working in a call center for firearm protection or some or uh is it pro firearm protection, or I'm trying to remember exactly what she? I think is it was pro. I, I think it's they're, they're pro gun. Interesting, considering. Uh, well, you know what? Actually, Frank is probably being a Democrat, but he's also from Georgia. He's probably a pro firearm Democrat, I would guess. Anyway, so maybe he has connections in that kind of pool. But is he, he has connections? I thought it was Carolina, <clears throat> or was it? Or is it South Carolina? South Carolina, yeah. Maybe it, I think maybe South, it Carolina. South Carolina. Um, whatever, a southern state. <laughs> um. Sorry, so we have heard the. <laughs> Didn't mean to slide anybody there. We we whatever the peach state is. I thought Georgia was the peach state. Anyway, I think we're discussing this too in depth. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, might be, you might be right actually. We have her. Oh, and she okay. So she tries to call her mother, um, and then like, so she doesn't say anything hospital. when her mother picks up, and then oh, is her mother at the hospital? Is that who she calls the hospital? I think her mom so, was a nurse or something. That's yeah. right. That's what I was going to say. Did you think her mother was a nurse or that her mother was in yeah. in the hospital, like ill or something? Think no, I think she was a worker, yeah. A nurse or something, or a tech. And she doesn't say any words to her mom, but her mom says, this This is Rachel, like as if she's done this many times. And so we get the impression that maybe she wants to talk to her mom and reach out to her mom, but she kind of feels bad about her. I don't know. For some reason or another, they don't have a good relationship, so she doesn't feel like she can talk to her but she wants to i'm sure we'll learn more about that um but she's kind of lonely obviously the um kind of supervisor walks around and she hangs up on her mom we see her on a bus and this is bizarre we see her on a bus and a girl asks rachel what she's listening to and asks for her earbuds and i wrote in all caps what who does that (laughs) yeah so that seems so unnatural to me i mean what was your original 
instinct. Well, that, when I first saw that, I was like, oh, she's going to make a friend, but in, in a really re- weird, bizarre way, that's kind of creepy. Who wants to put someone else's earbuds that they, who they don't know who they met on the bus uh, into their ears? But then when she passes out her little pamphlet, I was like, okay, this was, may have just been a ploy to get this girl to uh, come check out the church or the, right. the Christian fellowship group. Yeah, immediately when I saw that happening, I was thinking to myself, like, uh, is this some, you know, person that Frank has employed to kind of keep an eye on her? Or is this someone mm. that is trying to, you know, undercover, sneak out details about the Rousseau thing from her? But then I, you were right. When they passed on the pamphlet about the church group, then it was like, oh, okay, there's the agenda we were looking for. Um, so the girl gives Rachel a religious pamphlet. And Rachel isn't all that interested. She's not all that religious. But then Stamper shows up at her place and she's trying. he's trying to be nice to her. I think he brings her like a coffee or something like that. But she's pretty pissed because she just got relocated and she was really kind of happy at the direction she was going at the restaurant back in D.C. So, you know, they get in a little bit of an argument and she... That's still a... A bizarre relationship, don't you think? It's an absolutely bizarre relationship, and I think I said this last time that I'm not really sure which direction it's going, whether he's the father figure or whether he is in love with her, or both, which is even more creepy, but possible. I Um, I forget how we got here with her, like, to this point, with the exception. I mean, it seems like any other person that was involved in this, Frank, would just do away with, because we know he does that now. Um, Yet, is it only... Doug, is Doug the only reason why uh, Rachel is still living and being hidden? Because he has this weird affection for her? I would say that's definitely the case because, I mean, of all the people that would be easy to get rid of, you think Rachel would be the simplest. But let's also keep in mind that it's – we don't even know that Doug knows necessarily about the murders, right? Aren't we? That's I true. Because Frank himself is the one that carries these out. We don't know. I mean, Doug seems we to be – Go ahead. Doug knows that um, Rachel helped get Rousseau drunk that night, but that's all she really, or that's all he knows. I think. Well, I think that Rousseau or Doug probably thinks that Rousseau killed himself, which is what everybody else thinks. You know that maybe right. Frank in, like pushed him toward it, but that he did it himself. I don't think he actually believes, or at least doesn't want to believe that Frank actually committed the murder. And so, but I do, I agree with you. I think that that's the reason. You know. We saw Rachel. Doug, Doug is somewhat protecting her. Stamper's somewhat protecting her, but at the same time, she's not a huge fan of him. And when he notices the religious flyer and tells her to stay away from everything and just stay inside, it kind of entices her to rebel. And I think that's mm-hmm. what drives her to go to the church group. Mm-hmm. And she basically um, makes some friends. And so where do you think that relationship is going? Well, I know where it's going. Oh, I guess that's true. <laughs> you, you, you already where watched you all the think episodes. It's going? I'm the one who is still in the dark. Once again, I Chris ask has you questions. Chris has watched. Uh, Chris is ahead of us, and so he's going to kind of pepper me with questions as I watch it episode yeah. by episode. Um, where do I think it's going? It... Yes. All right. So this is going to seem bizarre, but I almost. I mean, I think that obviously the relation she needs some human connection outside of Stamper, and so I think that she's going to be involved with him. There almost, to me, was a little bit of a beyond friendship romance aspect to it. I mean, that girl's a church girl, so I don't know if that's going to be the case. But I do feel like there's, especially with women who have been, um, it seems like, abused or taken advantage of by men, they do seem to kind of gravitate uh, toward women in a more affectionate way. So I was wondering if maybe that's potentially where this is going. I think that's a possibility for, it would mix, I mean, I think it would fit for a character like Rachel. I don't know that that is where it's going. But um, that's... There's definitely One a chemistry there. 
Yeah, exactly. And so that's my that's my guess now, but I'm excited to see what happens next, I guess. Now, do you do you think – did this episode give you a better idea if, if you think Stamper has – you know, sexual feelings toward Rachel, or if this is strictly a, uh, a, a paternal relationship. Was it in... I, I mean, let's not forget, yeah, that she did blow him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. one time when he paid. I honestly, I think I think that he is maybe conflicted about it, and I think maybe he has both. I think he feels the need to protect her, but I think he also is in love with her. That's my guess right mm. now, going for it. So I think maybe it's a com- maybe we'll see him conflicted about it. I mean, maybe what's going to end up happening is that Frank orders him to do something, you know, to kill her or something like that down the line, and then he's really torn about what to do. I don't know. I think that she's she's still around for some for one some reason or another to do with being that last loose end, and so I you know that's going to jump up at some point. Now, next plotline will kind of follow the Frank plotline, and we'll also bring into discussion jack jackie and all that stuff so um this episode is really highlighting kind of uh frank and task are finally well i mean they were kind of butting heads at the end of last season too but now they're butting heads openly um with the president in front i mean kind of in front of the president even yeah i mean they're both trying to manipulate each other constantly and manipulate the president so it's kind of entertaining at that in that way but they're discussing avoiding a government shutdown so that way they can address the whole china issue Sorry, say it again. How relevant? Yeah, what do you know? Um, mm. That always seems to be the case. Is these writers are very, I mean, ahead of they know what's coming. It always it seemed like that last season that it was very, it all felt very relevant too. You watch some political mm-hmm. shows and it's kind of like, well, they, you know, make up extra stuff to create drama, but it's all they're pretty on key with the kind of things that would be sparking controversy in the country at the time. But they want to. Uh, Give Republicans increased retirement age in order to uh, get Social Security to stay. Basically, they're just trying to way to th- think of like a different compromise to keep the government open. Right, right. Yeah, the Republicans want to increase the retirement age, and the Democrats just want to prevent a shutdown. And the president wants something to show for his State of the Union address to say, look at this bipartisan agreement that happened. Exactly. So he's playing Tusk, or he's not playing Tusk, he's using Tusk and Frank to try to figure out the best way to get some type of deal done through the Senate, I believe, at this point. It is the Senate, and I think that's interesting to note, too, is that they switch it up here. The Senate is a Republican majority, and the House is Democratic majority. Um, But, yeah, so the Senate majority leader is Mendoza, uh, Republican Mendoza, and he's the one who Frank is kind of interested in sweet-talking with entitlement reform um, in order to keep the government open. And so he kind of thinks he has a deal going here with this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's talking to a, a, a group of them, but he has an issue when it comes to the Tea Party candidate. Because Curtis Haas. Mr. Haas. Because this guy, um, basically, he's, I mean, he kind of serves the same purpose that we see with real Tea Party candidates in that it's not necessarily, I mean, he's not really, there's nothing that Frank could say that would make him compromise, we find out. You know, it's the, it's just a symbolic maneuver that he can't compromise. I mean, his his base won't let him compromise with anybody because that would be against the party line or whatever. And so he's going to be an obstacle to Frank, and we know how Frank feels about obstacles. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, in the meantime, we have Claire interviewing the new press secretary. Um... 
Now, I don't, I didn't write now down this guy's name, which frustrated me. Um, but now, do you remember his name? I mean, you've watched the season. Now. I remember the actor's name. Uh, is it Co- Connor? No, that might be the character's name. Is it Connor something? Oh yeah, Sam Sam Page is the actor's name, I believe. Okay, and he his name is Connor or something is his his character's name, and he was on Mad Men, correct? Yes, he's on Mad Men, and he was on something else I've seen recently. But yeah, he's he's always that little pretty boy. He was uh, Christina Hendricks' uh, husband on Mad Men. Okay, the, the doctor. But here he is the sweet talking press secretary, and he makes it very clear that he wants the job by the fact that he went to like this super extensive length to like do his homework on uh, Frank and. Claire and um, I think he even went to like some archive where he could watch a video of their first press conference together, so right. that he and he like noticed Claire's accent back then or something like that, and so he was like really trying to impress, and he he does it successfully. Claire is impressed, and I feel like Claire is not an easily impressed person, no. and so right. he she really accomplishes something here. Immediately, I was thinking. Is he going to be hitting on her down the line or something like that? Are they going to, yeah. Are they, yeah. So that was like my immediate first impression. So don't give me any hints one way or another, but like. I won't. He's a very handsome guy though. He is, and he clearly has some charm that she falls for, which we don't necessarily see with just anybody. Um, So that's the immediate thought that came into my head. Now. Connor Ellis. That's the character's name. Okay. Connor Ellis. And he's a new press secretary. Or he, I think we assume he's going to get the position. Yeah. Right. Meanwhile, we have our character, uh, Jackie, um, I don't remember Jackie's last name, but the new Majority Whip who took Frank's place is kind of protege. And we learned a couple different interesting things about her. First of all, we remember that last episode is the one where she was was all kind of stone cold and told her mentor that she's going to throw him under the bus so she can get to her new position of power. Um, and now she is kind of feeling the um, the damage from that because the uh illegitimate child of this congressman is um getting all sorts of press and the mother is really upset and they right. know they know Rightfully it's so. Jackie's fault. It seems to be tormenting her a little bit. But yeah. you know, she which I think, you know, is once again kind of the difference between her and Frank is that he wouldn't let something like that get to him, but she still yeah. seems to have a little bit of a heart. That's that's the big um I think so far what we're learning from Jackie even though there are similarities that we've seen but why Frank would pick someone like Jackie uh Jackie Sharp as his uh, uh successor there are things like this that that show there is cl- a clear difference between the two um they're both tough uh but they're both but Jackie feels regret and remorse for for throwing people under the bus Exactly if they don't um, deserve it, right? Exactly, and so that I mean that is a clear difference. And I think, I think the only other real time we we see Jackie this episode is when she's getting a tattoo, or yeah. no, she's getting a continuation of a tattoo of poppies right. on her body, on. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of hidden. And I wrote down what's my question was: What's the point of this? Is it the fact that she has something kind of rebellious that she's hiding? Is are the flowers specifically representative of something? What are your thoughts on that? Well, two things. One is I think it was meant to show that there's some underlying reason why she has a tattoo. Obviously, people get tattoos. You know, she's not some little hipster kid running around with like a bunch of mismatched tattoos all over themselves. This it looks like it's a clear reason why it is what it is. Um, 
And also, I think it shows that she's kind of a little tougher, edgier than we, you know, she's not some soft pushover. She'll, she'll, she can handle pain, I think is, is, is the biggest point, even though the pain is manifesting as something kind of more beautiful, like poppies on, uh, on her body. Um, that's what I thought. I will say that you, you, they do eventually get into it more because obviously Jackie's one of our main characters, so we're going to know a lot more about her. Right. Uh, but what, what did you think? I think that that's a, those are both excellent analyses. But yeah, that's what I was thinking is that maybe it was showing us that she's more, you know, she has more grit, more rebelliousness to her than we maybe initially realized. And she's a little bit harder than we kind right. of, you know, she puts on this very strong, you know, pretty well made up facade kind of similar to Claire, but we realize that she has a little bit more grit under her than Claire maybe does. Mm-hmm. Um, also, let me tell you, man, from my own personal experience, rib tattoos hurt like a bitch. And so she's pretty, <laughs> that's right. She's you have tough. A big one. I do. Um, you have a few tattoos, don't you? I have two. I just have two. two. Um, yeah, but it, it's a little painful. Um, yeah. now, so back to Frank. Um, of course, he you know he tries to negotiate with this Haas guy. He's willing to give him 15 years before they revisit entitlement reform. Um, he, he's pretty much willing to concede in order to get this guy to you know come together because he wants this grand agreement that he can present to the president. Of course, this you know the Tea Party guy takes it back to his caucus or whatever. And he takes it back to his base, and they don't want any of it. Um, they just don't want a compromise no matter what. So president's pretty pissed at Frank. And because the State of the Union is coming up and he, like you said before, he wants to be able to say something positive about where the budget's going. So Frank says that he'll get things under control before the State of the Union. And this is the same thing we've seen time and time again. Frank's almost on a deadline and he has to think quickly and come up with a plan. Exactly. It's so annoying sometimes. Because you know that it's probably going to work out for Frank. Well, and I mean, of course, we have every obstacle against him. You know, Tusk is throwing Frank under the bus to the president now, blaming him for um, things falling through. And, you know, Frank's talking to Senate leader Mendoza about how Haas won't budge. You know, and he has to get his whole team on the phone to start making calls. And, of course, as this has happened every time as we've seen this, you're right. Like, Frank manages to outmanipulate people. Um, he runs the table on the senators and forces them to come in for a vote, even though they didn't want to come in. So this whole cool. scene is this whole scene I is just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. Oh, so great! I love he to ma- see the uh, parliamentary procedure. <laughs> he makes some motion where the senators have to be there, and so that like the bailiffs have to go and handcuff them and carry them in, which is just the most hilarious thing ever. And they're all dragged into the senate and. Handcuffed and dragged in. I love it. And the problem is that so many of them had like gone back home already that they don't have enough to uh, vote it down. To vote it down, and Frank gets a pass because all his guys are there. And yep. so, I mean, it was it was really entertaining to see. But you're right; it is very yeah, annoying. For once quorum, again, that was it. It's very annoying to see Frank be so. Yeah, I mean, I, I succeed with I, ease once again. Right. I think looking to the future after this whole sequence, though. Frank definitely has made some enemies out of Haas and Mendoza. Because yeah. he totally, it's a big, I mean, pun not intended, but F you to those guys. Oh, and how embarrassing is that to be carried in with Hank? I mean, you got to imagine that that was probably like an internet, an oh, internet yeah. meme all over the place. Oh, yeah. You know, they they probably got, I made it. fun of on all the t- late night shows and everything, so... 
they're gonna be they out all... for blood after this <clears throat> oh yeah don't you think i forget what they also said too they're all when they're all handcuffed being drug in for for roll call they're in their uh, under protest yeah they're in their, like yeah exactly um but i, I thought that mm-hmm. was a really good scene um and of course it kind of ends with tusk congratulating frank um Yep. Who Frank I, like so surprisingly we see Frank kind of call Tusk out here, and he calls him a two face, which I thought was interesting because you know Frank is normally he's normally more subtle than that you know he doesn't confront people to their face very often. Um, I think the right. one time we really ever saw that happen in the past was that uh, the school board guy from oh, last yeah. season who pun- who he gets to punch and that was for a specific purpose to get the guy to punch right. him in the face. And so it was kind of interesting to me that he would call out Tusk to his face because, right? Well, maybe he I finally mean, sees someone as a as a almost equal adversary, and so he's gonna his cards are gonna be out there on the table because Tusk Tusk is already onto his game. I think that's probably true, but I'll be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of Tusk as an opponent. Yeah. Um, I still seems I, a little weak. Still seems a little weak. Seems a little like one step behind. Also, just seems a little bit bland. Um, he's, I mean, he's kind of a nice old man that likes to go bird watching in St. Louis in Missouri. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I mean, I want to see, I'd rather see, you know, Jackie step up and be his, I also don't think Lucas is a very strong opponent either. I'd rather see it be someone like someone strong. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and, I mean, not to say that Tusk isn't, but I still, we just get the impression that he's still a step behind just the way Frank continues to be so successful. Um, and of course, this part of the episode ends with the president giving the State of the Union, and we see all the different Frank. characters kind of watching. And yeah, this is pretty excellent too. This is probably this is the best part of the episode. I when love he's once this. again monologuing to us, and he says, "You know, to us as for me, I used to be on the edge of the frame. Now I'm only three feet away from the, you know, highest position in the land." Yep. So. I mean, I think it's pretty clear here that we can officially say he's gunning for the president's office. I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah, I think that it's <laughs> that's, he... that's that's obvious now. So, which leads me, leads me to, I mean, you already know the answer to this, but it leads me to start thinking, well, what's his process for this? There's two years left until there is another election. Mm-hmm. Is he the type of person that's going to wait two years to try to be elected? Or is he the type of person that is going to maybe have do something, put the president in a position where Thoughts he ends up taking down. over? Either that's manipulating the president to impeachment somehow, or to re- resignation. Or, I mean, you know, if the president happens to die, that's going to put him in place too. So I could see yeah. at this point, I could see it being any of those things, but I do think you're right. Uh, well, obviously, you know, so you're right. But and I'm gonna, I, I thought the exact same thing. This is Frank's endgame as the presidency. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, we kind of could have figured... I mean, well, we kind of could have figured out all along, but at the same time, you know, it, when we see him in the very first episode of season one, he had just wanted to be Secretary of State. Right. And he was, yeah, he was all butthurt because he got passed up on that. Exactly. Uh, so he is... He's moving up quickly. Now, last storyline to discuss, of course, is our friend Lucas. Lucas. Who... Totally seems out of his element. Can I go ahead and say that to start off? Oh here? yeah. I, I I mean I have questions like when when we're when we're dealing with Lucas in the diner. Well, let's get to that point. How about you get us there? And then because a lot of this is like, would you do that? Would you have done that? 
Well, okay, so let's start with the way he kind of confronts Christina. Obviously very aggressive. Um, he doesn't do it very... Um, he's not very strategic in the way he approaches her to try to figure out more about Russo. But I think that's partly a product of him being so distraught still from the whole Zoe thing. He doesn't seem to be thinking too right. straight or have his, like... He doesn't seem he's to have be very suave about things. He's just kind of reckless right now. Yeah, reckless is a good way to put it. I mean, he's trying. He's obviously his heart's in this story, trying to report it. But yeah, his approach is not very calculated or tactful. He's kind of reacting and just trying to move quickly through the story when that's probably not the best or smartest way to go about it. Um, and yeah, he like comes on way too strong trying to get Christina to talk. Right, and also and so- Christina is now working for the president. Oh yeah, she's so this... in. She's in a good enough position. She believes Russo killed himself and feels terrible about it. Doesn't want to talk about it anymore. So she's really mm-hmm. upset that he is even coming back here and kind of dredging Stirring up, it up this stuff. And so she pretty much threatens him to stay away from her. So he Lucas strikes. Okay, that's his first strike out there. Um, yeah. Let's also remember that last episode he learned about the deep internet and he posted that mm-hmm. thing about wanting to trace somebody's phone, particularly the vice president's phone, which he posted that he wanted to trace the vice president's phone on this what? Oh, system. Yeah. Yeah, that that, that I, I couldn't believe he did that. <laughs> Again, this is I, I, the writers having difficulty writing uh, journalists and uh, journalism process. I think kind of reckless, not very tech savvy, but entertaining nonetheless. And so, of mm-hmm. course, sure, St- Stamper seems to have tracked down that. Uh, I don't think he knows it's Lucas. Does he? He just no, knows. I don't think a, he does. He knows that there's the- been a posting online that someone is looking to, you know. Uh, the FBI the, brings trace, it to him, right? Yeah, to track the phone of the vice president. Yeah, and so he or the Secret Service, I think it is FBI Secret. Oh. And so, um, he wants to empower Lucas by basically leading him on, so that they can eventually arrest him. So they're going to set him up in a position. It sounds like with some kind of hacker, so that way he they kind of find out what he's up to, and then they can actually arrest him. Which he's, I mean. Like we said, he's clearly not being very careful about how he's going about this, and so yeah, they're, they're setting up a sting. Basically, he's walking right into a trap. This is, I mean, what clearly is the situation here. So he, we see him at the computer, and he gets a message from some hacker saying that they'll help him. Uh, we, but the hacker kind of sends him on this like weird, wild goose chase. He gets a package delivered to him yeah. at a waffle shop. It's like, a, is this this is the diner scene I'm assuming you're talking about, where he like, yep. a courier comes in with a bag, gives him a package, and it's an iPad, and on, yeah, with a hollow. creepy serial killer like message on it, uh, and it says like, "Turn me on, lover," or something creepy like that. I think. Um, and then it's that weird like character that pops up and gives that creepy message, like, "Give me your thumbprint." If you want yeah, to yeah. do this. Oh, he sends in his thumbprint for verification, which obviously now, you know, if there's any, I mean, he's pretty much, you know, there's no denying who he is. They now. have him. Yeah. Uh, he Would you well do just that? Give that, him that's, a social security number and everything. Yeah. That's my biggest question on this. Uh, I mean, I, I wrestled with this. I was like, oh man, as a, as a viewer, I was like, I want him to do it. Do it. Because I want to see what happens. But as a person, I would probably not do that. As a journal, a journalist at a publication that it seems like is somewhat well-respected, I feel like he would have some resource that he could potentially confide in for the situation to, like, like yeah. a, a tech person that would... I mean, he kind of is talking to tech guys but not being direct with them. But, you know, I mean, 
I feel like there would be more journalists who would be hungry to learn it. Like if you, they really thought he had a scoop here that he would be able to find some kind of ally that was a little bit more tech savvy than him to keep mm-hmm. him from doing stuff. That's this stupid. But it, I mean, all I could kind of feel in this episode as he went through is like, God, you're getting yourself in a well of trouble. I mean, he's, yeah, <laughs> you, you're in the rabbit hole now. Um, just keep screwing himself over and over, mm-hmm. worried about what's going to happen to him. He go. He does try to find an ally, but his same old one. He goes up to Cornell, where Janine is teaching journalism. I don't know if she's actually teaching at Cornell or at like a community college. I think she. I thought she was teaching high school, but maybe not. I is it high school? It was kind of a nice high school, high school, or maybe college. It was like literature and English, I, I, I believe. Yeah, I thought not not journalism. Anyway. She's teaching something at a school up in um, upstate. Yeah, Ithaca. Ithaca. Or, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and Lucas comes up to her with the info on the hacker and says, like, hey, look, here's an opportunity for us. We should get into this. And she's basically, she's kind of the voice of reason. I mean, she's the more, like we said before, she's the journalist who actually kind of knows what she's doing, it seems like, a little bit more. Maybe Lucas has been an editor for a little bit too long. Yeah. She's basically <laughs> like, this is stupid. You're going to get yourself in trouble. I want to stay out of it. I'm ha- okay right here right now. I feel safe. So he is still on his own. Um, but we see the hacker kind of telling him he needs to get this password from the IT department to like break through the firewall of the entire publication, which doesn't seem to really question too much considering like he puts a lot of trust in this person considering that they could not only destroy his job, but totally destroy the entire publication and embarrass him, you know, majorly in a public way. But he pretty much manipulates the IT guy to get the code to get through the the firewall and brings it back to the hacker. Um, so he, he gets like, I think like an address and he goes and meets this guy at a, is it a hotel or an apartment building? I'm not really, I'm trying to remember Unclear. what it is. He walks into the suite where he meets the hacker. Um, the, so I don't know, remember this hacker's name or this actor's name, but he's been in a million different things. I, oh. I remember him yeah. specifically as the, one of the McPoyle brothers from, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. One of the really oh. disgusting guys that like is always drinking milk, and they like are in, he's like part of an incestual family and stuff like that. It's Ooh. pretty. It's pretty funny. What well, do you remember him from? Uh, I don't. I could not place it, but I knew I knew him because I. He always is that dorky, geekier, like but like, kind of creepy. Yeah, kind of creepy, but not like una- totally unattractive. <laughs> like, uh, uh, yeah, creepy, creepy, slimy dude. And he plays it well. Um, he interrogates him on camera, and so he pretty much has a confession now on camera. Yeah, and so like, so let's th- let's walk through this. So Lucas, first of all, posts online that he's looking to hack the president's the vice president's phone. He then gives thumbprint verification as to who he is. <laughs> he gives up yeah. the password for the firewall, so that way anybody could completely take control of the entire Washington Herald computer system and overrun everything. And he pretty much confesses to everything illegal that he's done on tape now. Yep, yep. Uh, he's totally screwed. That, there's no way out of this anymore, Lucas. Sorry, buddy. You made your bed. I I have absolutely no confidence in him taking down Frank. Because he just Not doesn't anymore. seem like he thinks twice about anything. And he's put himself in so many compromising positions now. I have he's... no idea how he could get out of that. The only way he could get out of this, I think, is if he's vindicated by finding out the truth and really, like, 
revealing what Frank did has done with Zoe well, not... with Russo. But that's the thing now is it's like. I can only assume that the hacker, this, um, the guy, you know, my foil brother, um, <laughs> is working for Stamper. I mean, other, or at least Stamper's aware of what's going on to the point where he wouldn't let him get too far because that's kind of the implication I've gotten the way that they've kind of shown Stamper following him. So I don't oh, feel like, determined. yeah, so I, I guess I'm a little, I mean, maybe that's not the case, but. At this point, I kind of feel like Lucas is screwed, and he's going to get probably killed off like Zoe, frankly. Um, Whoa, he, you think so? He would be easier to do it to. I mean, everyone, I mean, they could easily pull that off as some kind of suicide because he's depressed yeah. about Zoe being dead. He's acted certainly kind of crazy and depressed recently. So, Lucas, come here. We come to this address. Okay, go to the top floor. Okay, look into the camera. Say, I want, I'm going to kill myself. Okay, now jump off the building, and he'll do it all. Oh yeah, and that's and then I'll give you the vice president's phone records. Yeah, he would listen. Yeah. To <laughs> Here's what you have to do first: you have to kill yourself. He seems okay, like kind of I'll an idiot. It. I'll be honest; like I just don't have any faith in him. I don't he know was that a lot I better ever earlier him. on. He's now he's. Re- I think that you're right. He's just too emotional about this situ- about the story of Zoe, and he's trying to solve it way too quickly, mm-hmm. way too quickly. and w- without any um, caution, without any strategy. He's right. it's he's not thinking about anything, and he's putting himself in a lot of compromising positions. So I can only imagine that's going to come out back to bite him in the ass one way or another. Um, and, and I mean, hell, that's kind of where this episode ends. I mean, it ends with the State of the Union. I think that they watch it on the hackers' mini monitors or something like that, and we kind of see everybody watching. But that's kind of the position everybody's in. Um, Frank wins again, as he always continues to win, although he has a couple new enemies in the meantime. Uh, Lucas is either going to find out some information potentially but he's also pretty for certain going to get screwed one way or another and um, I guess Stamper and Rachel yeah Rachel's a Christian and Stamper I think still wants to bang her but also be her dad I don't know it's weird (laughs) ew Um, uh, so do you think uh, Christina will ever become a, a uh, helper to Lucas or is that has he comp- completely burned that bridge I don't know what he'd have to bring her some really convincing information and somehow get her to listen to it because at this point she's in a really good position it's not like she's sitting there and being sad about Russo being dead they've got her placed in the position where she is very close to the president I think that Frank and Claire even joke that she's banging the president at one do point do you think question number two do you think Christina is sleeping with the president I thought they were just joking about it, but I, I guess anything's a possibility. Um, I just think that she is, you know, she's a good worker and well-respected and they put her in that position. So that way she would stay quiet. Um, I don't know, but it's possible. I don't think that she, I, I think that like basically Lucas would have to bring her a picture of like Frank in the security camera of the parking garage in the car with Russo in order to prove anything right. or to get her to change her mind or be on his side. Um, will Janine ever come back and help uh, Lucas? Oh yeah, she's definitely coming back. Lucas is going to find out something that's going to bring Janine back. And Janine's, Lucas is probably going to die or something like that. And Janine's going to be the one who actually solves the thing because she's actually the, the savvy journalist. <laughs> and so that's kind of the trend I foresee. Um, That's all. I think there's one or two things I'll bring up in our next few episodes. Like 
There's, they definitely play uh, Claire and Jackie uh, as as strong female figures um, a little differently, I think, and they dress them a little differently. Claire as different is kinds of strong like, females. Yeah. Uh huh. Claire's so, always okay. what? Claire's always well. I well, we can get into this next time, but Claire's always wearing much, much more form fitting uh, uh, colors or. Um, uh, beige, white, and black. Like she, she earth doesn't wear any color. Yeah. So very t- toned down, earth tone. Yeah. And also very form fitting. When she's wearing some mm. of that stuff, I'm like, whoa! Like if the if the first lady or the second lady or any lady wore something Jill like Biden. that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If Joe Biden wore that, people would be like, okay, lady, you need to tone down the. People would be very like freaked out. Anyway. Obviously, I think we can all say that, right? I think we can say that. No offense to Jill Biden, but she's no Robin Wright. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll, okay, that's something I'm going to pay attention to, yeah. then, so we can uh, wrap this out or uh, yeah. dig deeper into this. I think the last couple episodes I gave really good reviews. Um, this one seemed a little bit more kind of building towards something. It was a little bit too easy how Frank did things. Um, once again, I did enjoy kind of seeing all the senators carried in handcuffs. I think I'm going to give this episode a 3.5, bring it down a little bit, because okay. um, I want there to be room to continue to kind of. Keep going up. Uh, what do you think? I gave it a four out of five uh, because I absolutely loved the whole parliamentary procedure. It was good. I, I, I love. I love the. I, I really do enjoy following politics, and I, I think it's. It was really fun to see um, the rule book used in such a way to uh, play people and and uh, Republicans and Democrats uh, kind of against each other, but for the greater good for our anti-hero. Frank Underwood, yeah. even though, like you said, it was a little easy again for him to figure it out. But he started—he was getting a little stressed there toward the end. He was getting a little pissed and freaking out, especially when Curtis Haas and Mendoza backed out. He was like pissed. Well, and that's one of the things. Like maybe when he is confronts Tusk like that, maybe we're actually seeing Frank lose his cool a little bit. You know? Mm, yeah. Um, that's very, another kind very... of something I was potentially considering. And so maybe we'll right. see. I'd like to see more of that this season. I really want to see a worthy adversary. I don't feel like it's Tusk. But maybe it will be. Um, maybe it'll be ha- that Curtis Haas dude. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll well, be interesting to see. I think but, the uh, president needs to get a little savvier too about what's happening. But oh, the president's a Frank. blind idiot. He just kind of yeah. lets things happen. And <laughs> lets himself get manipulated whichever way the wind blows. Yeah. Uh, How did this guy get in office? Have we met his wife yet? A little bit. I don't I think we met his. I don't think we've met his wife yet. Okay. So oh. I'm assuming we don't even meet her all season. So maybe they're just playing it. Maybe he's a single that, president. Yeah, we'll, we will meet her. And yeah. I'm not. I'm not. That's not a spoiler alert. Don't worry. Like, but, I mean, obviously you have to at some point. Yeah. Um, but because she, she's, I mean, anyway. But that she's another. Okay. So, so maybe maybe about. the reason that um, Frank put Christina in that position is to get her and the president in some kind of sex scandal, so he'll step down. Is oh that yeah, that's a good idea. Because he's, I mean. I don't know. He's always thinking three steps ahead with his placements. That's something else to right. consider. Anyway, we'll talk about it more as we yep. go on. But again, <laughs> everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, we absolutely love this show and love talking about it with you. Chris, uh, where can we find more of your um, your thoughts this Business. week? Uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Chris Husted, K-R-I-S-H-U-S-T-E-D. Tyler, where are you at? Find me on both at TJMoss11. All right, folks. Uh, once again... Uh, Check us out on iTunes, check us out on Facebook, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I don't want to be your friend. I just want to be your love.